Hello, this is Jim Modavalli. Um, as you probably know, I'm a host at WPKN Radio, dubbed the greatest radio station in the world by The New Yorker. And um, I'm also a freelance writer and the author of two books on electric cars, um, Forward Drive and High Voltage. And welcome to the Plugging In podcast. My co-host is Don Gibson, and he's a professor and dean of the O'Malley School of Business at Manhattan College. And our guest today is Tom Maloney, who's a senior editor at Inside EVs and the host of the State of Charge podcast on YouTube, which he tells me has been growing exponentially. I wanted to start, Tom, by asking you about uh, a phenomenon. I think it's pretty important people understand this about fast charging and auto companies will tell you that you can charge your EV at 480 volts uh, DC fast charging. And in half an hour, you can be go from 10 to 80% charge. And it sounds really good. But um, I've seen where you've done writing and talking about how doing this repeatedly uh, on your car. I mean, using that as your basic form of charging is actually damaging to the batteries and will probably affect the, the life of the car. And I think that's poorly understood. So I thought we should start with that. Okay, great. That's a great topic, uh, Jim. And thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, you know, DC fast charging, most people don't use it as their primary form of charging. Most people charge at home or, or at work um, at slower rates. Level one is a regular 120 volt outlet. Level two is a 240 volt outlet or charging source. And then DC fast charging, sometimes called level three, uh, is from higher voltage, 400 volt to, to up to a thousand volt, actually, in some electric vehicles. The Lucid Air charges at over 900 volts. Um, and, you know, the problem with DC fast charging, if you want to call it a problem, is that um, that creates a lot of heat. And it's not that the, the high speed charging in itself will degrade the battery. It's that heat does. And I mean, even if you live in an extremely hot weather area like Arizona and the car's parked outside in 115 degree weather every day, your battery will degrade faster than somebody that lives in a, in a, a you know, more moderate climate area. Um, so when you charge your EV at very high rates, it creates a lot of heat. Some of the cars have better thermal management systems than other. And the, the thermal management system works to keep the battery cool while it's DC fast charging. So I think what we're seeing now is that some of the newer EVs have better thermal management systems than some of the systems that had been out in the past 10 years. So the hope is that with these newer EVs, they'll be more tolerant of frequent DC fast charging. Now, obviously the data is not out yet. We don't know, uh, but we do know that if you don't have a good thermal management system and you DC fast charge very frequently, once a week, twice a week, you know, or more, that your battery will degrade faster than somebody who didn't. And we, we know that in the past from particularly the Nissan Leaf. Nissan Leaf had a very poor thermal management system. And uh, the people that used a lot of DC fast charging had much faster battery degradation than those that didn't. Well, what about when we look at Tesla, for instance, um, early Tesla Model S customers got free fast charging for life, which was an incentive for them to 
basically charged that way. And uh, we're now seeing Tesla's reach 200,000 miles, which is amazing enough, but we're starting to get some data. And I interviewed a Tesla owner who was down to about 100 miles of range after that, that, that many miles. Um, I don't think we've seen a lot of that severe form of degradation, but uh, are you seeing that with Tesla's? So, yeah, I actually spoke with that same gentleman, and um, uh, I'm actually going to do a range test on it in about two or three weeks. We're getting together because we're going to find out exactly how far it will go, uh, and that's going to be on my YouTube channel, State of Charge. But no, I haven't. To, be, to answer your question, and I've spoken with a lot of Tesla owners, this is an edge case. Um, you know, there could be something else going on with the car that we don't know about. Maybe a couple of the battery cells um, stopped working or not cells module. Maybe he lost a module uh, due to some other problem. But, you know, I have spoken in the past with a lot of Tesla owners that have over 200,000 miles and they haven't experienced anything near what um, uh, Rob has experienced. So it's it's quite unusual. And he has done a lot of DC fast charging, a lot of supercharging but not excessively so. He, he didn't do enough to have the vehicle's battery degrade this much. So it's kind of, um, it's unusual, uh, you know, and um, I, I, I look at him as more of an edge case than what normal people would have experienced. And to your point about the free supercharging, yeah, that, that was an incentive. Uh, and Tesla has since stopped that. And I'm not a fan of the free uh, fast charging programs that a lot of the manufacturers give out now. Like if you buy a Volkswagen ID4, it comes with three years of unlimited DC fast charging on the Electrify America network. The BMW uh, i4 and iX come with two years of free unlimited charging. And, uh, Genesis too. I think I saw yes. that one. Genesis. Most of the new comp the new cars manufacturers are offering these incentives. Um, as an incentive to buy a vehicle, I, there's a couple of reasons why I I do not support these these type of programs. The first one is um, the possibility of battery degradation, of excessive battery degradation, which we really the the owner probably won't know about. Most people lease cars for three years, and they're not going to have any noticeable degradation in, in the first three years. So they can DC fast charge all they want, then they give the car back, and then it's going to be the problem for the second owner. That's one issue. But the other issue is now we have all of these people using this the DC fast charging stations that really don't need to. They could charge at home, but instead they elect to go to the DC fast charger because it's free. And what that's doing now is it's starting to clog up the DC fast chargers <laughs> unnecessarily. Now those are really there for people that can't charge at home. Let's say you get an EV and you live in an apartment building. And also for people on long distance traveling, they're traveling many hundreds of miles they need to, to, to recharge quickly, they pull up to the DC fast charge station and there's 10 cars there waiting of people that live five miles away, um, but they're using that as their home charging because it's free. And uh, those are two reasons that I'm, I'm not really a big fan of the free unlimited DC fast charging programs. And Tom, uh, I have a PHEV and uh, most of the time I just plug it in at home. Would can you use a PHEV with the fast charging? I don't know that I would in particular need it that way, but wondering. There's only one currently that uh, a plug-in hybrid that accepts DC fast charging, and that's the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid. Um, no other plug-in hybrid has the DC fast charge pins 
basically because it's unnecessary. Plug-in hybrids have small batteries because they also have the uh, the ICE powertrain, and they don't really need to have the battery propel the car that far because they have this backup power system. So um, it's rare that a, a plug-in hybrid would have DC fast charging capability. Don, Don has a, a Honda Clarity uh, plug-in hybrid. And Don, how long does it take to, for you to charge that overnight? I, I just do it overnight. I think it takes about 10 hours or so. And really? I that, seems about... a, that seems long to me for, for a plug-in hybrid. Does that seem long to you, Tom? Well, it depends on what Don's using to charge it. Uh, do you have a level two charging station or are you plugging in it on a regular 120 volt outlet? Oh, no, it is strictly level one. Oh, well, yeah. there you go. Yeah, there no, you go. <laughs> but it, it works just fine. I get home at six o'clock, plug it in. I'm ready to leave it, you know, 530 or six the next day. And, and I that, get 40 and that's miles all you need. out of it. Yeah. That's all you need for a plug-in hybrid, quite honestly. I mostly recommend people use... Uh, level one for plug-in hybrids, unless, you know, uh, it depends on your driving situation. If you're, if you drive to work, you're out all day, you come back home, level one's fine. If you, if you work from home and maybe you run frequent trips during the day, it might be better to be able to recharge it quickly because you can go out and drive 10 or 20 miles and deplete all the right. battery and come home and plug it into a level two charger. And in an hour or two, you'll be fully charged. And a couple hours later, you go out and you run another 10 or 20 mile hour. And you could do the whole day on battery. But if you were on level one, that wouldn't work. So it really depends on how you're using the car to determine if, if level one or, or level two is a better uh, way to charge it. Got it. Interesting. I, um, I assume that if you use level one, you're hardly even getting the batteries warm, let alone overheating them. Yeah, you know, you're pumping in a little over one kilowatt, you know, compared to a DC fast charger. And like if you're if you're charging a lucid air, you're pumping in over 300 kilowatt. So it's 300 times as much power getting pushed into that battery. So you're going to have a lot more heat. Um, but, the, you know, the, the air is, is, is an edge case. It, it can accepts the most power of any EV out there right now, although the, 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 the Hummer EV is supposed to accept more. I haven't had the opportunity to uh, to do a DC fast charge recording on that, but uh, I was know, just going to ask you about the the Hummer EV, Tom, because uh, the battery in that is I think it's 127 kilowatt hours, if I'm not mistaken. So the Hummer EV is two over 200 kilowatt hours. Oh, over 200. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering how you would even charge that overnight uh, <laughs> at home. I, I don't see how you could even do that. So. It, it seems like a bit of an Achilles heel to me. Well, here's the thing, Jim. You only have to replenish what you use in the day. True. You know, just because <laughs> it has a 200 kilowatt hour battery doesn't mean you have to charge it 200 kilowatt hours every day. So, you know, if you if you go out and you drive 80 miles in the day, you only have to replenish 80 miles worth of battery. So in most instances, uh, a Hummer EV owner will recharge the battery fully you know, on level two overnight. All right. Well, let's just suppose the, the, the Hummer EV owner um, got down to 10% charge. Yeah. How long are they going to take to recharge? So, you know, it, 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 it depends on the, um, what type of charging they have at. Well, 240 you know, volt home charging. Okay. So, you know, with 240 volt home charging, I believe, now I need to double check this, 
but I believe the Hummer EV has a, a, a dual onboard chargers. It's an 80, um, uh, eight, it can accept 80 amps of power. So it's 19.2 kilowatt. So if you have an 80 amp home charging station, um, you're pumping in after the charging losses, let's say 18 kilowatt hour every hour of charging. So, you know, over, over 10 hours of charging, you can replenish 182 of the 200 kilowatt hours. So you can fully recharge it overnight if you have the right charging equipment. But charging with that much power, you don't think is going to hurt the battery? No, not 19 kilowatt isn't, isn't, isn't going to hurt the battery. I mean, you really, you know, you, you really run into the problems when you're pumping in over 100, 150 kilowatt, uh, kilowatt to the battery for a prolonged period of time. That's when you really need a good thermal management system, you know, 20 kilo, 18 kilowatt into the battery is, is, is nothing. I mean, the, the fans will probably kick on to cool things down every now and then, not consistently. Like when you're DC fast charging at the high rates, the fans are whizzing away the whole time um, just to constantly keep things cool. The components cool, the battery cells cool. But if you're charging at home, say at, at, at 80 amps, you know, the fan might kick on and run for a little while, then shut off, and then you know, 20 minutes later, kick on again. Um, that's that's not a problem at all. Don, I wanted to ask you about your experience with the Clarity. Whether they say uh, once you've had an EV, you don't go back, and uh, you have like half an EV there, <laughs> most of an EV, and you probably drive most of the time on electric. I was wondering if you you're a confirmed EV driver now, and your next car will be a battery EV. Yes, definitely. No, I, I am confirmed. And this was an excellent way to transition in, in a way, uh, because um, I, you know, I, and this is a question I have for you, Tom, you know, whether we're getting to the point where we do have adequate public charging, because the way I use this car is I have a 30 mile commute, you know, each day, so I can do pretty well on that. But then I frequently drive to Washington DC doing going down your beloved uh, New Jersey turnpike. Um, and you know, it's not going to do anything uh, that that range is going to be hard, I would need to stop somewhere with a BEV. So do you think uh, we are getting to the place where I can get over my range anxiety for a, a bit of a longer trip? Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. You know, when I drive from, I live in Northern New Jersey. I don't know if you're a little bit more North of me, Don, um, but um, I, I've drive, I drive to Washington, D.C. I don't have to stop. I have a Tesla Model 3 and it makes that trip without a problem. And I always stay, when I go down there, I stay at a hotel that has charging. So um, I drive there, arrive at the hotel, they plug it in for me, recharge it. And when I go back home the next day, uh, I don't I, I don't have to stop again. So the, the ranges are getting longer and the public charging infrastructure is getting, uh, you know, so much better. I mean, Jim can tell you, I've been driving EVs since 2009. Tom and, is a total pioneer in the field. He's yes, one of the you, early guys. He definitely yeah, was know, in early. Back then, there was there were no public charging stations, not even level two. There was nothing. You know, it was. And, and I've seen the evolution for level two charging and then a couple of DC fast chargers got installed. And now the last couple of years, it's just gone bonkers with how many of these are charging. I know the people are still not, we're not at a place yet where they're everywhere and accessible for everyone. But, you know, coming from my position where I've been monitoring this and 
watching how quickly these are being installed, I'm quite honestly, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed with how fast the infrastructure is getting there. I know people that are new to EVs complain, oh, we, we don't have enough charging stations. I, they're not, you can't blink your, snap your fingers and have 100,000 charging stations overnight. But the, the, the pace we've been installing these DC fast chargers, Electrify America in particular, and EVgo is, is also at it doing well, the last couple of years is incredibly promising. And now with this new infrastructure bill, it's only going to double down on how fast it's going to install. Then in my opinion, the next three to four years, you know, by 2026-ish, there's going to be an incredible network. Of, of high-speed DC fast chargers, and, and it's only going to keep improving from there on in. So I to, I know I, I, I answered your question very long. In my opinion, right now, especially where we are here in the East Coast, Don, I do believe that the infrastructure is adequate for you to, for you to get a, a BEV and pretty much be able to do whatever you want for it. There are some areas, particularly the, the, the you know, the, um, the cent central, uh, northern, uh, Central America, I mean, not Central America, the, the states in the middle of the country, right. Right. Midwestern states in particular, where the infrastructure is definitely lacking. Uh, but the fact of the matter is there's not a lot of EVs there that the charging station companies are installing the infrastructure based on data they get from the companies of where the cars are. So right. as, as more EVs proliferate in the, in, in the Midwestern states, we'll get more infrastructure. I had an interesting experience. I was talking to DTE Energy earlier today, and they're the Detroit area um, utility, and they count something like 21,000 EVs, probably including plug-in hybrids in their coverage area in southeastern Michigan, and 30,000 in the state, which I thought was a fairly respectable number. I didn't realize they had that many EVs in Michigan. And uh, they, they announced a program with BMW and um, Ford and Chevrolet where they're going to do, they're going to be able to pause charging. If, if the drivers opt in, uh, they'll be able to pause charging at peak times to better control the, the flow of energy on the grid, which I thought was a good thing. And they're aiming to have like a thousand cars uh, taking part in that this year. It's all a step towards where I think we're going with this, which is uh, V2G or vehicles to grid, in which cars give back power to the grid. And I think we're seeing two, two uh, mainstream vehicles, the Silverado uh, EV and the Ford Lightning F-150, both of which can charge houses during blackouts. And um, also a number of bi-directional chargers are coming on the market. So uh, we're going to see that. I, I love the idea that your car sits idle for like 20 hours a day or more, more than 20 hours. And it can actually be, uh, it can actually be making you money at that point. And uh, I think, Tom, didn't you cover the, um, the whole uh, experiment down at the University of Delaware with Willett Kempton when they used the mini EVs in a, in a V2G demonstration? Yeah, I did write an article on that. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of these pilot programs over the, the last few years. This is the first one for, for BMW, Jim. BMW did a pilot program in California when the i3 first came out, like 2014 or 2015. And um, BMW actually reached out to me and said, hey, can you use your network to see if 
if uh, if you can get people to sign up for this that live in California in the service district, because I think they wanted 100 cars or 140 cars, something like that. And I actually pushed out, you know, tweets and on Facebook groups. I mentioned it to people and I said, hey, this is a great program. You know, sign up for it. You'll get a reduced cost on your electric bill. Um, you know, you'll you'll get a notification if they're going to need if if they want to stop your charging for whatever reason, you know, for the you know, the shift, the shift, the charging to a different time. So you can always tell them, no, you can't shut my car off right now because I need it to charge. Uh, right. But, you do, as you mentioned, you know, even if you drive a lot, your car is probably idle for about 20 hours a day. And EV charging is a shiftable load. You know, uh, you know, your refrigerator isn't a shiftable load. It has it has to run all the time. But but your car can charge. You know, it doesn't need to always charge when you plug it in. So um, I wholeheartedly believe that that's this is the future of EV charging. And it's, it's going to fit right into um, uh, improving our energy grid. So many people are concerned, oh, EVs are going to crash the grid. We don't have enough electricity as it is. We, we could never do this. It, if you talk to the sophisticated utilities, they're looking at EVs as an opportunity. It'll help stabilize the grid, not hurt it, because they'll be able to have these programs where they uh, they can they can temporarily pause charging, and 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 as you mentioned with bi-directional charging, they can actually use you know fleets of of millions of electric vehicles to to provide stability in, during the time of a potential brownout or blackout. So you know if we do this right, the electric vehicles not only won't be a problem for utilities, they're going to be an enormous solution to the the issues we have today. If you're just tuning in, we're uh, talking to Tom Maloney, who's a senior editor at Inside EVs and the host of the State of Charge pod, uh, the YouTube channel. And also uh, my co-host is Don Gibson, who is the dean of the O'Malley School of Business at Manhattan College. What was interesting about the DTE Energy um, program was that they couldn't guarantee that you'd actually save any money. And their incentive is they give you a $50 gift certificate at the beginning and one at the end. But um, in the V2G demonstrations, the cars are producing something like $5 a day in revenue or $1,800 a year for the, uh, the owner of the EV. And uh, I think that's where we want to get to if we want to have uh, people participating in these programs in large groups. Yeah, uh, listen, the, the, there's plenty of different ways to, to you know, make this work. Um, upfront uh, discounts like on the, uh, the electricity itself, um, rebates based on how often they're, they're able to um, curtail your charging and shift that load to, to another time of day. Um, you know, I, th there's a lot of different ways. We're still trying to figure out what the best way to make this work is. And that's why there's so many of these pilot programs. I mean, there's, there's, there's gotta be a dozen of them in, in effect out there now. Some of them are small um, and uh, you know, some of them uh, the, 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 the deal isn't with the car as much as it's with the charging station, because for instance, NL, NLX makes the juice box and the juice box is one of the few uh, charging stations that's demand response uh, utility demand response approved. And 
you know, you talk to the people at, at Enel and I mean, they look at it as, you know, the, the, this is the future of EV charging 100% and that you could basically cover the cost of installing the charging station and the cost of the charging station if you agree to participate in one of these programs for X amount of years. So, you know, that there's another way that they can do it, uh, that they can make this work, Jim, to say, you know, listen, we'll, we'll supply you with the home charging station and we'll install it if you agree to participate in this program for the next three years. That is a great idea. I love that. Yeah, yeah We have a few is, minutes left. Don, you want to throw something out? I just want to, I, uh, the key here is incentives. I mean, that's, uh, and this is now speaking, you know, as a business school dean, but in terms of behavioral economics, you've got to get people to believe that, uh, that this can work for them. And I love the idea that utilities also need to be brought in and made part of this. We cannot have them, you know, sort of working against this, uh, these kinds of ideas. I mean, why is Europe so far ahead? And now I think they, they have more uh, penetration of the EV market than China and far more than we do. Uh, partly it's the incentives, right, and regulation. Um, do you think, Tom, so we're at still like three to 5% or something of our market is EVs. Can we get to 50% by 2030? I think that's a good number to shoot for. Um, I think I think what you're going to see is kind of this incremental um, increase in that in the percentage for the next two or three years. But I really think that sometime around 2025 is when you're going to see that that um, the hockey stick, you know, yeah. adoption curve where it really takes off. I think we're only about two to three years away from that. And I think that, you know, you're just going to see double digit year over year increase after 2025, 2026. So, um, you know, we got a couple of years of, you know, a, a point or two every year of, of, of the overall sales percentage increasing, but then it's going to really take off in 2025. And all the automakers, the, their product portfolio is just going to be loaded. Half the vehicles on the showroom floor are going to have plugs. And uh, you know, that, that that's really when we're going to see, in my opinion, we're going to see an incredible tipping point. You know, it, it's at, at the just concluded New York International Auto Show, it was quite singular that there wasn't a single uh, internal combustion engine uh, vehicle announced. And it was just all wow. EVs. I mean, that that is where the industry is going 100%. Most of the automakers aren't even designing new uh, new engines for, for internal combustion platforms. That's kind of, the whole thing's over. Uh, we just have a minute or two left. I was wondering, Tom, you you test cars like I do. I just took a, I just got a, a Volvo uh, XC40 recharge and delivered. I was wondering what EVs you've seen in the not last uh, year or so that really impressed you. I, I really like the Kia, the Kia EV6 and its companion Hyundai. Uh, I'm wondering if you have similar views. Yeah, so you know they are similar vehicles, the EV6 and the, and the Ionic 5, but I'm a little bit more in the Ionic 5 camp. Love the styling uh, on that. It's just that that 80s retro pixel look is just maybe because I grew up in the 80s, uh, but I absolutely, that that that's a vehicle I actually thought about maybe selling my, my I drive a, a Model 3 now and I'm getting the F-150 Lightning, hopefully within a couple of weeks, but I, I 
for a minute, I said, maybe I should sell the Model 3 because used car prices are so crazy right now. I can get as, I can get more than what I paid for it. Um, and, 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 I, and I thought about getting the Ionic 5, and then I just said, you know, I'm, I'm getting the new Lightning now. That's good enough uh, for me. But, uh, you know, if you want to talk about press, I'm pretty impressed with BMW's two new EVs, the iX and the i4. I actually just got an i4 M50 dropped off in my driveway uh, yesterday. I uh, have it for a week-long loan. I'm going to do some range testing and charging testing with it. And those two vehicles, I think BMW did a really good job with. So, Don, what would you consider if, if you do switch over from your Clarity? Do you, do you like those two, the ones we were just talking about? Absolutely. Um, uh, I like this. I like the styling on those. I know you did a test. I'm I'm fond of, of Mustangs a bit from uh, I grew up a little earlier than you, you did. You used to have a Ford Mustang. So uh, I might be inclined from a sort of, uh, you know, memory perspective to go go American in that way. But uh, no, it's fantastic to have this increase in the number of models. That's what we need as well. So people feel like they have choice. hundred percent. You know, for the longest time, the only EVs out there were little hatchbacks, you know, and um, now we're getting all these different sizes and shapes and we're getting electric pickup trucks. America is the land of pickup (laughs) trucks. You know, I mean, it's every year, one, two, three in sales of all vehicles are pickup trucks. So, you know, it's, it's fantastic. And, uh, Hey, I, I've always had a pickup truck on my driveway. I, I do some snow plowing and uh, um, I always need, it's a very functional vehicle for me. So um, I finally, I sold my Toyota Tacoma two weeks ago because I know the lightning's coming. And finally, oh, wow. I've been waiting for this day that I have no gas cars in the driveway and I have two EVs. For the last 13 years, I've had one EV and one gas car in the driveway. But now that's it. I sold my last gas car. I'll never own another gas car. And uh, I finally got to where I wanted to be and have a, an electric car and electric pickup truck. Well, we're out of time. I want to thank our guest. Don and I have enjoyed interviewing Tom Maloney. He's the senior editor at Inside EVs and the host of the State of Charge um, channel on YouTube. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for having me, guys. This has been a lot of fun.